Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Honey, you shouldn't be cleaning up another man's piss. You never know what someone's going through in life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV. I'm David Chen, and today we have a really exciting announcement. Joining me for this announcement and episode, he's a writer whose work can be seen at IGN, Vulture, and Joy Sauce. You've heard him on Decoding TV. Welcome back to the podcast, Siddhanth Atlaka. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really looking forward to this because I am a total beefhead. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. So what is going on here on Decoding TV today? Well, first I want to mention, of course, you can always find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, at Decoding TV. For the past year, Decoding TV has been doing weekly deep dives into different TV shows and streaming shows with some of the best writers and commentators on the internet. But while the weekly recap model works really well for a bunch of shows like The Last of Us and Westworld and Succession, it takes a lot of time and commitment to cover a show in weekly recap format. Uh, for many co-hosts, such as Siddhartha Tlaka, who's appeared before recapping She-Hulk and Westworld with us, uh, it's usually at least a 10-week commitment. And that's just uh, a, a lot of time and effort for one TV show. And if we continued just doing only weekly recaps, there are just a bunch of shows that Decoding TV would not cover. Uh, because there's a bunch of shows that it doesn't necessarily make sense to do a weekly recap for. So that's why I'm so pleased to announce a new show launching in the Decoding TV feed called This Week in Streaming, which will cover the latest and greatest in what's available on streaming platforms. The idea is that every week, in addition to any weekly recaps going on in Decoding TV, we will cover one of the most interesting, thought-provoking, and or critically acclaimed shows on TV. We won't recap every episode of a given TV show, but we will instead tackle the first episode or two, and then separately the last episode of that show to summarize the whole season. Uh, this will be on the main Decoding TV podcast feed, so if you're listening to this now on the podcast feed, you don't actually need to do anything to get future episodes. They're already going to be delivered into this feed. Over the course of the next few weeks... Siddhanth and I will be covering Beef on Netflix, we'll be covering Barry on HBO, and we'll be covering Dead Ringers on Amazon Prime. Again, our plan will be to cover the first episode or two with no spoilers for the rest, and then the last episode, which will discuss the whole season of each show. We're committing to covering these shows, and you can expect that coverage in your inbox if you're a paid Decoding TV member or in your podcast feed. Will Decoding TV cover more shows after this? That is up to you. Please let us know what you think of this format, what you think of this podcast over at DecodingTV at gmail.com. I am so grateful to Siddhanth for joining me for this initial batch of episodes to kick this off. Siddhanth will always be part of the Decoding TV family, and we're committed to covering those three shows I mentioned, Beef, Barry, and uh, Dead Ringers together. But uh, as time goes on, other people may rotate in and out of the co-host chair. Uh, in the meantime, your feedback at decodingtv at gmail.com will help us determine whether to continue this new experiment. One final thing before we get into beef today, and that is we are going to try to start broadcasting this podcast live as often as possible. So I do want to mention we are broadcasting live right now as we speak on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, we will be interacting with people live, uh, so you might hear people's comments interjected into the into the podcast. Uh, and you can follow us at youtube.com slash decoding TV and twitch.tv slash decoding TV, uh, where you can get future live broadcasts and interact with us whenever we go live. Uh, our succession podcast will probably not be live, but I, I think it's very likely that the episodes that and I will do about beef, about Barry, and about dead ringers will be live. Um, so be sure to follow us over at youtube.com slash decoding TV and twitch.tv slash decoding TV uh, to make sure you get notifications when we go live here and discuss the most interesting shows on television. Okay, 
Sit down. Thank you so much for listening to that long preamble. Sit, thanks for sitting there and, and enduring that. I appreciate that. Yeah, my, my input for all the listeners and people watching is, yeah, what, what David just said. <laughs> so, beef. Let us get into the show. David? Uh, yes? David, I think it's beef time. It's beef time. Beef is about uh, it is about two Asian Americans whose lives intersect after a road rage incident. Danny, played by Stephen Yun, is a contractor whose business is flagging and whose family life is a bit of a mess after he helped his cousin run an illegal operation out of his family's hotel. Amy, who's played by Ali Wong, is a small business owner who operates a plant-selling business called Koyo House. Her business is on the verge of a sale to Forsters, a hardware chain run by Jordan, who's played by Maria Bello, and Amy really needs this sale to go through. All 10 episodes of Beef are now streaming on Netflix. Siddhanta and I are going to be discussing episodes 1 and 2. We're going to spoil everything through episodes 1 and 2. We're not going to spoil the rest of the show. We're going to have a separate episode where we discuss the rest of the series. Uh, But this is just kind of initial thoughts and whether people should watch the show. So, Siddhanta Laka, should people watch Beef and what were your overall thoughts on the show? Should people watch the best new TV show of 2023? Uh, I think it depends. Um, I'm going to say if you like good television, uh, if mm-hmm. you like to laugh, if you like to uh, also be kind of emotionally uncomfortable at times, uh, yes, it is. Who it's good. It is. Yeah, I'm not going to say too much. I've because I've seen all of the show a couple of weeks ago. And written about it over at joysauce.com, so you can get my also relatively spoiler-free thoughts there. But uh, yeah, this is the real deal. And I don't say this about very many TV shows, but it's really good. I approached it on th- with this opportunity to come join me for this on Decoding TV after you'd already watched the whole series. Um, but I've only seen the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and honestly, it was difficult to stop because... I watched the first two episodes and I was like, oh, I really want to keep going. But I wanted to wait until we had recorded this episode for so at least one of us could go in, uh, you know, kind of not knowing as much as possible. Yeah. And um, I'm already on my second watch of the show at this point. This is an extremely well done show. It's beautifully shot. It's amazingly acted. And it has something to say about modern life. And I think it's uh, many people are calling it one of the greatest series that Netflix has ever put out. That does not surprise me. I can't wait to watch the rest of the show. But for now, we're only going to talk about the first two episodes and spoil everything in the first two episodes. Uh, on that note, Sadaf, let's talk about these episode titles. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm quoting here from Netflix's blog, which writes, Beef creator and showrunner Lee Sung Jin referenced influential texts and films to help describe the unhinged behaviors of his characters. Uh, episode one is entitled The Birds Don't Sing, They Screech in Pain. Uh, episode two is entitled The Rapture of Being Alive. People might be curious, what are these episode titles a reference to? Well, uh, episode one, The Birds Don't Sing, They Screech in Pain, is in reference to Werner Herzog's documentary Burden of Dreams, in which Werner Herzog says the following line, quote, The trees are in misery and the birds are in misery. I don't think they sing. They just screech in pain. Taking a close look at what's around us, there is some sort of harmony. It's the harmony of overwhelming and collective murder, end quote. I guess I could have done a better Werner Herzog voice just now. I was but, hoping you would. Yeah. Uh, my, my bad, my bad. But uh, yeah, there is, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a reference to the fact that, oh, this behavior that you see uh, the birds doing, they're singing. You think they're singing. You're interpreting it one way. But in fact, inwardly, they are actually screaming, right? That's what is actually going on. Uh, episode two, The Rapture of Being Alive, is actually a reference to Joseph Campbell uh, in a famous 1988 televised interview with Bill Moyers. American writer Joseph Campbell presented this answer when asked about his thoughts on the meaning of life. He said, quote, I don't think the meaning of life is what we're seeking. I think it's the experience of being alive so that our life experiences on the purely physical plane will have resonances with our own innermost being and reality so that we actually feel the rapture of being alive, end quote. My question for you, Sananth, is this technique of titling these episodes incredibly pretentious or does it work extremely well or both? 
I don't know, man. All art is pretentious. I don't even know if that's a valid question. Um, but like, I, I think it works for this particular show just because, you know, these two titles and all the other titles are, you know, taken from, you know, various sources that all seem to be referring to something about nature, something about human nature. And I think this is a show that digs into a lot of things about people and the way we, um, interact on our dynamics with each other in the modern world in a way that I haven't seen very many movies and shows really get into. And so I think, you know, the, the titles aren't necessarily some kind of coda to figure out, Oh, this is what the episode is secretly about. They're more just references to the fact that, okay, these are the topics and the, this is the subject matter that the series is dealing with in, in sort of a roundabout way. So I like it. I think it's mischievous almost. I agree. Pretentious is a terrible word to use because it's not <laughs> It's not super descriptive. I, I guess here's my philosophy on using titles like this is uh, I'm fine with it as long as you earn it, you know, is, yeah. if, if the show earns it. Um, so if you're talking about like Guy Ritchie's The Wrath of Man and you have like a, a quote from like Von Clausewitz or whatever, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, making the... Uh, jerking off motion with my hand while I'm seeing that. But uh, when you are a show this good that has a lot to say, in my opinion, uh, mm. and is this well-constructed, yes, I'm gonna I'm willing to put up with mildly obscure references for your, uh, for your titles. So uh, anyway, it'll be interesting to see what... We, we might talk a little bit about what the rest of the episodes are titled as, uh, as we get on with the show and talk about it in our next episode about Beef. But... Siddhanth, let's talk about what happens. The first episode of Beef begins with Danny and Amy's lives intersecting in the parking lot of a hardware store before a chase scene breaks out. And it's a really thrillingly done chase sequence. It's basically every person's worst nightmare when it comes to road rage. I don't know about you, Mm -hmm. but whenever I have a road rage incident, which is very rare, uh, my fear is always, is this going to be the psycho that follows me home? <laughs> Which is why I really try not to have road rage incidents, right? That's um, good to hear. <laughs> what's good to hear? That I try not to have road rage incidents? Yes. What did you think I was referring to? Yeah. Um so here is my question. Who do you think was actually in the wrong for this inciting incident? Ah, uh, that's a little harder to pause because what are we actually talking about? Are we talking about the incident as a whole where mm. They get mad at each other and things escalate from there and they chase each other. Or are we just talking about the initial like, oh, okay. It, yeah, the initial it, it, the initial thing, right? What, like for, from my perspective, um, Stephen Yun's character was backing up into Ali, Wong char- Ali Wong's character's car and mm-hmm. he was going to hit her if she didn't honk at him, right? Uh, and so Stephen Yun was in the wrong. Uh, now, Ali Wong shouldn't have given him the finger and thus provoked him further. Uh, but I think it was initially Stephen Young was having a rough day. He almost backed into Ali Wong, and um, he was the one that actually made the transgression there. So, um, but yeah, yeah I, that, that that said, Ali Wong was Ali Wong's car was there, kind of not moving very much. So that's another, yeah. you know, she she could I have think been it's, theoretically responsible. It's such a small little, almost nothing of an incident that it, you know, even calling it you know, even framing it as someone being in the wrong, that in and of itself feels wrong. And that's not a slight at you, of course. <laughs> that's more like... You're, you're basically so... questioning the premise of every single one of my questions that I'm posing. Absolutely. That, that's my job. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, it, it's... What's, what's wrong, so to speak, is the fact that both of them, you know, immediately get at each other's, you know, throats in a way from a distance. Uh, but... Yeah, the wrongness of the initial skirmish is so minor that everything that follows just feels completely wrong in relation to it. Like, this is, you know, if we were dealing with completely calm, rational, well-adjusted people who are having a decent day, it wouldn't even register. Like, oh, all right, you go ahead. You know, that kind of thing. Right, right. And I certainly think that's part of what the show is saying, is that it's this tiny moment 
that can somehow balloon and spiral out like a fractal into all these different areas of these people's lives. Yeah. Um, that's what's so fascinating. On that note, by the way, are you familiar with the movie Changing Lanes? Um, the Ben Affleck, Samuel L. Jackson movie? Um, I haven't seen it, but I've heard it brought up in relation to this show. It is an extremely different movie than what the show is in terms of uh, aesthetically, in terms of kind of the areas of life that it's exploring. Um, it's a white dude and a black dude in that movie. This one, it's uh, it's two Asian people, Asian Americans. Um, and... Uh, and I bring that up because their kind of Asian Americanness is a, a key part of, I think, their identity in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it also basically starts with a road rage. It's a movie, and it's about a road rage incident that kind of uh, spirals out and creates all these problems in these people's lives. Very different movie, but kind of a similar premise okay. uh, in some ways. So anyway, uh, for those who like changing, wanted an Asian American version of Changing Lanes, uh, your day has come. Your day has come. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, shortly after arriving home from the chase scene, uh, Amy starts to tell her husband, uh, who is uh, George, right? Played by Joseph yep. Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, she starts telling her about her life and then he cuts her off and says, hey, like, you got to start focusing on the positive. Um, when I watched this, I actually thought this was very bad and unhealthy behavior. So I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but I think that in general, one of the things that we see in these people's lives, both uh, Amy and Danny, is how the people around them kind of invalidate them in various ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned from... Uh, you know, taking classes from uh, these this relationship counselors called the Gottmans. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, mm-hmm. uh, but there's this this concept called the, the stress relieving conversation, and the idea is that every day after work or whatever, you have like a five to fifteen minute interaction with your spouse mm-hmm. or loved one, uh, where they can kind of just tell you what is going on with them, and it's like a it's like a way for them to feel validated. It's a way to connect and so on yeah. and so forth. And she's like starting to kind of have that. And this guy um, just just cuts her off. You know, this guy, uh, George, just kind of cuts her off right right away. Um, and it foretold, I think, a toxic aspect of the relationship where he doesn't really listen to her needs mm-hmm. uh, and and pay much attention to like what she's going through. Uh, what did you think, Sedant, about the relationship dynamic between uh, Amy and George? Yeah, like you said, it's a moment of, I guess, toxic positivity. Um, yeah, yeah, great. No, that's like, like I think George being introduced in that specific context is really interesting. And you know, even though I've seen further episodes, I'm not going to talk about them. But you, you immediately see him through the lens of, all right, this this thing has happened and this pressure has built up, and Amy needs an outlet to relieve it, and George is definitely not that outlet not that person for her and it's interesting you talk about that um that you know uh method in couples therapy um i i've seen something similar posited just on twitter which is you know the best place to get advice um but in this case it was actually good advice where uh you as a couple can avoid a lot of you know arguments and problems if if you just figure out at the beginning of a conversation, is this a problem solving conversation or is this a venting conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Absolutely. when those two things clash, 
uh, when Amy's trying to have a venting conversation and George turns it into a problem solving one, um, you immediately see like the way she like shuts down and the way it kind of, you know, builds a little further for her. So yeah, fuck George. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't think he acquits himself particularly well in the first two episodes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, one other random note I wanted to mention before I ask you what, what this episode brought up for you is yeah. um, right after the road rage incident that kind of creates the entire thing, uh, Danny, a.k.a. the Stephen Young character, looks at Ali Wong's character's license plate and starts repeating it to himself so that he can then yeah. search for it later. Are you familiar with the movie MacGruber, Siddhartha Laka? <laughs> yes, I am. This is uh, very similar to one of the most famous sequences in MacGruber where yeah. uh, MacGruber kind of gets cut off or sideswiped by this car and then like starts committing the license plate to memory. And that's uh, one of my favorite sequences. I, I don't think they were the people in this show were inspired by MacGruber necessarily, um, but they could have been. And I just really enjoy the parallels between MacGruber and the show Beef. But on that yeah. note, yeah, go beef, ahead. beef is for all the Magruba fans out there, I think. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> Siddhanth, um, you know, a, a lot of the show is about anger. You know, it's about how these people hate each other uh, and and the reasons that they do so and the ways in which it plays out. Um, you had some thoughts about this, right? Yeah, I two things in particular stood out to me um, over the course of the first two episodes. One is the fact that you know, the way that these two characters are directing their anger, um, of course, the reasons are, you know, they all have to do with things in their own lives because they haven't really interacted with each other beyond this, you know, minor friction. And even when they start, even when their lives do start intersecting, um, they only have these like really tiny windows into each other's lives. And I think what immediately struck me was how much, that maps on to the experience of just using social media in today's day and age where, you know, so many of your interactions and opinions are formed based on, um, again, this, this minor part of who someone is. And then you think you can extrapolate the rest of their personality based on, you know, the, the 1% that you've seen of them. And then, you know, you project things that might be going on in your own life um onto you know someone who you see as as just this as just an object for your anger and of course that's that's the way anger works in a lot of situations it could be with a coworker it could be with you know a stranger you bump into on the street uh but yeah what what immediately struck me as someone who is extremely online is oh i i kind of understand this on a very fundamental level um and and again, some of those windows that you know the two characters are finding into each other's lives do have to do with the internet and social media. You know, you find, you know, uh, Amy finds Danny's Yelp page, and um, Danny looks up Amy's uh, address and forms, you know, an opinion based on that. And we, the audience, we have larger windows into each of them because we are with each of them for significant periods of time. Whereas um, they, across the first two episodes, they barely interact. And um, yeah, that that was the first thing that really struck me about the premise of the show. And I don't know if you, you know, got any of that from it or what yeah, your read was. I think that's a great point. It's a, In many ways, I think the show is about what you said is about like compression. And what I mean by that is about how people in general and these characters in particular can compress the life of another person into a very narrow thing that only they can see in that moment. That's really what road rage is in my opinion, right? It's Mm -hmm. um, you're on the street and then someone cuts you off. And then for a moment, that is their whole identity is they're the person that cut you off. They're not father of three. They're not person who volunteers, at the local soup kitchen for 18 hours a week. They're, they're just, that's the a-hole that cut me off. And, um, and that is the, uh, the phenomenon that allows people to treat each other so poorly online. And, uh, you know, in general is you, you, 
you're you see a glimpse of someone else's life and you think you know them, but you don't know anything. You don't yeah. know anything. And uh, you're looking at someone's life through a straw. Like you're looking at a piece of paper through a straw. You 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 see like a tiny bit and you think you you know everything, but you're mm-hmm. seeing like a tiny tiny portion of it. Um and it's that kind of compression, that kind of way of looking at things um that allows people to do terrible terrible things, you know? That's that's a, definitely a huge mechanism of what i think is at play here um so let's talk a l- go ahead sit on to your response yeah no in that sense one of the first shows that beef actually reminded me of was uh, a show by mike white who created the white lotus um but his short-lived hbo series enlightened i don't know if you're yeah. familiar with it yeah uh got two seasons of the minimum three that it should have gotten. But something that it does really, really well, especially in, in its second season, is it uh, shifts perspective to some of the supporting characters. There are entire episodes just about like, you know, a supporting character from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep. And you you suddenly get a sense that you've been exposed to a whole new world Um or that you know you're seeing the world of these characters in a way that you thought you had you know that you hadn't before um and i think beef kind of starts to do that a little bit with its first couple of episodes um and you know like i said not going to discuss the remainder of the show too much but it it does you know it it does continue to do that in interesting ways mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think one of the big things that the show is about is how you know yes um george is the worst um, <laughs> but but the thing that's interesting is george says many things that are true like yeah. anger is a transitory state of consciousness when he's cleaning up the guy's urine he's like you, you never know what people are going through and that that is literally the mantra for this entire show in my opinion is you never know what people are going through right yeah um and what what is unfortunate, the tragedy mm-hmm. of beef, is that these bo- these people are going through kind of both. They're both going through the worst period of their entire lives, basically, yeah. and they just happen to kind of collide at this one inopportune moment. Yeah. Um, and if 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 this moment, if this road rage incident happened at a different time of their lives, if it happened after. Uh, Amy had sold the company. If I don't know if she's going to sell the company, I doubt it. But if it happened after she sold the company, if it happened, you know, before or after Danny's going through this challenging time in his life, like it wouldn't have played out the same way, you know. And their Probably lives would not. And 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 that that is the tragedy is like they're both going through all these things that they don't know about. Um, but then because it's the worst timing possible and they intersect, um, tragedy yeah. is 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 likely going to result. So yeah. And and also, I know I keep saying I'm not going to talk about future episodes, and I'm not. It's just yes. that it's it's really hard for me because I'm so excited about this show. Um, <laughs> all I'll say about George is, yeah, screw George. Uh, that is my opinion of George in the first two episodes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's talk about the performances. You know, one yes. of the things that I was really impressed by in the show is specifically uh, Ali Wong. I think she, she is incredible because the camera takes on a very subjective point of view for most of the show. And what I mean by that is um, there are tons of close-ups of uh, Ali Wong's character, Amy of Steven Yeun's character, Danny. Um, you're often just like looking at them, what they're thinking about. But honestly, I think Ali Wong, ha- Ali Wong's character has the harder job mm-hmm. in, in this uh, or Ali Wong has the harder job in the show. They're both awesome. But Ali Wong has a harder job because um, Danny is largely a what you see is what you get. If he is feeling differently about you than he uh, is saying, then it's very transparent or it's very thinly veiled. Um, It's Ali Wong that needs to put up an entire edifice, this entire front of who she is, uh, because inwardly she is dying inside, right? She's... she's, uh, really sad about all that life has given her about the current state of, of things and her existence. And she actively hides this from everyone that's around her. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why I think like the, the road rage incident, how that spirals out is so invigorating for her is because she finally gets a chance to be who she really is or how she say how she really feels um, through this 
extremely weird connection she has to this Danny guy. Um, but I thought Ali Wong did awesome in the show and so far. And a big part of that is because um, there's just all these like little glances that she does when people aren't looking or the transition between when she thinks people are looking, when people aren't looking a really good example of this is the first scene that we already discussed with George and trying to tell George about her problems. And she kind of puts on a smile, even though she's not really happy or when George turns away, she kind of, you see her expression change all these little like mini things that she is experiencing. We get to experience. So I, I think the performances are phenomenal. And I think the, the camera is I said the word I think I said the word unforgiving because it's like up close there is mm-hmm. no room for error uh, it's also like very occasionally unflattering like it's not mm-hmm. you know it's not like aesthetically beautiful just because it's so close it's so unforgiving and you're seeing these people in challenging emotional states what did you think of the performances Siddhanth? Yeah starting with Ali Wong I think you make a really good point about those you know transition moments between lines between conversations um it's like, um, are you familiar with the show You on Netflix? I am familiar with it. I haven't seen it, but yeah. Okay, so a big thing about You is there are these like you know moments where the characters aren't interacting, but there's just voiceover to fill you in on what's going on, right? So there are a lot of what I would call You moments, but just without voiceover. Mm, and what mm. is instead filling you in on what's happening internally um, in these extended close-ups is just the sort of micro expressions, the micro changes on Ali Wong's face as Amy. Um, and there's just so many details about her and about the place she is in her life that I think works so wonderfully, starting with just just her her octagon-shaped glasses. I think... Love them, love them. You know, I it's first of all, it's a very memorable detail. Uh, second, I don't know, it just seems to speak to like... You know, some kind of like, this is a person for whom, you know, structure and outward appearance seem to matter a lot. And on the inside, like you can, you can see the ways that she is sort of struggling to keep up appearances as well. And, um, and, and yeah, like even the way she smiles, it's almost like every time she smiles, it's like this, but Dr. I am Pagliacci moment. (laughs) because like she's just in (laughs) you know she's in agony just trying to keep it together especially when one of the other characters says i don't know how you keep it together um i think a woman who's taking a photograph in her store um you can just see that she is just dying inside um and even if we don't you know know the reasons fully just yet you can tell like okay this is someone who you know it's going to be very interesting to follow her on this journey and you know, I think quite simply another reason that she's so stunning in this is because you don't normally see work like this from her. And, you know, I'm not familiar with her entire body of work. But for me, uh, I'm used to seeing her as a stand-up comic and as someone in comedy films. Like um, she, was in, she was great in Always Be My Maybe. The Always Be My Maybe. I was, yeah. I've seen it. I was going to call it Never Have I Ever. That's a different Netflix thing. Different, different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, she's very like, you know, overt, outward, very like, you know, her, her cadence is of an American studio comedy actress. Whereas in this, she's so withheld. Um, and, and a prime example is, you know, the scene in the art gallery where she and George are having this like really intense argument that could lead to some really nasty places, but they're both forced to whisper it at each other because they have to be quiet because they're in an art gallery. I don't know if the mic picked that up, but <laughs> but that but that's what I'm saying. She's she she has to express herself without using the tools that you know you normally see her use to express herself. Um, and for me, it's just it's one of the great like you know you know surprising performances from an otherwise you know comedic person. I would put it on par with like you know, Jim Carrey in like the late 90s and early 2000s, where he goes from like this slapstick, rubber-faced buffoon to, you know, uh, movies like The Truman Show and Eternal Sunshine or, you know, Brian Cranston, you know, making the switch from um, Malcolm in the Middle to Breaking Bad. And now people associate him primarily with Breaking Bad. Uh, so I think this is, you know, on her part, just some absolutely phenomenal work. And it also helps that, you know, Stephen Yun is the actor that he is uh, because, you know, each time the 
you know, the perspective switches between the two characters. You know, everything you're seeing is so compelling, even if there's almost nothing happening, like Stephen Yeun, uh, his character, Danny, just walking through his apartment and just like picking up after his brother. It is it is so intense and compelling to watch just because of the way he carries himself. I agree. It's a really big, for Ali Wong specifically, it's a really big step change in terms of yeah. level of difficulty from what I can tell. Um, yeah. She's so good. And, and th- this might be uh, kind of what she is known for after this. You know, I think it's very possible. I hope so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Seattle KO in the chat says, uh, whoops. Seattle KO in the chat says, this is Ali Wong's best work since she started acting. Uh, and I would agree with that. I think she's yeah. awesome in this. Um, now you brought up the art gallery scene. Mm-hmm. This is, this is a little weird to me, Sinan, because I thought the, uh, the show is great. Even the art parts are great, but the art stuff is the only part of the show that really feels like it is a, a kind of over the top satire from my perspective. Right. Okay. Um, like everything else in the show feels extremely grounded in my, in, from my perspective. Like it, it feels like this is all stuff that could happen in real life. But then the art stuff is just like, wow. Like the people who made the show freaking hate the modern art world from my perspective about like, you learn like that chair is formed from George's mom's backside. And then Maria Bello's like, I'll buy it for a hundred thousand dollars. You know, all this stuff. Um, what was your take on how the show handled the art world? Honestly, it never felt like that to me. Mm-hmm. I, I never once thought that this is, you know, a, a skewering of, you know, minimalist or abstract gallery spaces at all. I think the only time uh, in in these first two episodes that it's like, huh, that's a weird piece of art. Why do you think that's good? The only time that that comes across to me is when you first see one of George's sculptures. Right. And it, it, I think it's meant to look kind of phallic. You know, yeah, and, it looks and so. Yeah, yeah, it it it's meant to be a vase, but it uh, it uh, like where would the flowers even go? I think it's just it's a mess. Um, <laughs> and in fact, so at, at one point he's he's making a clay pot, and he gets distracted with you know his conversation about couples therapy, and he slips, and like you know obviously it gets, you know, it, like the shape changes yeah. and all that. But to me, the thing that he made accidentally is so much more compelling than what he was trying to purposefully make. (laughs) Uh Because it comes from a genuine place. And I think that's an interesting part of his character, too. He's this guy whose parents, or at least his father, was like a renowned artist and has this gallery space dedicated to him. And the second time I saw the episode, the second episode, I really paid attention to what was being said about this gallery space, about negative space and the absence of people. And that's why it's chairs because you know you're you know uh, does a chair have a function without a person in it and you know what what memories and things and feelings do do chairs conjure does it have to do with the chair in and of itself or does it have to do with the person whose backside was in the chair and so <laughs> put, i put a different way to, to, to reference a different movie that's coming out this weekend um a shoe is only a shoe until someone steps in it. And Viola Davis came up with that line. Yes. True yeah. fact. True fact. We're talking about Air, the Ben Affleck yeah. movie about Oh, Nike. no. I, I was actually talking about Super Mario Brothers. Sorry about that. Yeah, they say that uh, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's in both movies. Oh, um, it's a me. I am the shoe. <laughs> Seattle KO in the chat says, The Japanese mother, who is also a pretentious artist throwing shade at Ali Wong's character as a mother-in-law, was captured so well too. Mm-hmm. Uh, For me. I, I think that's great. Um, th- that is a great character, and kind of you get the you get the sense of the tension between the two of them, right? There's like, especially yeah. when there's like an inter class thing going on, you get the sense that Ali Wong's character probably didn't come from money, whereas yeah. George's family probably was relatively wealthy, and so obviously the grandmother is going to want certain things for her granddaughter that like are massive expenditures. Uh, and this can create a lot of tension. There's a lot of judging going on, a lot of things that aren't said going on. I really thought that dynamic was captured very well. So um, any thoughts on that, Sadat? I think the actress who plays Fumi, I'm sorry, I have her name here. Uh, Patty, I believe it's uh, Yasutake. Yeah. I could yeah, be mistaken. I apologize. Uh, but yeah, no, she she has such a minor presence in the first two movies and yet such a major presence. At the same time, did I say first two movies? They feel like yeah, movies. first two episodes. Yeah, first two episodes. Yeah, yeah. beef and its sequel 
more beef. Um, <laughs> beef and its equal. It's what's for dinner. Um, uh, so and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, because again, you you even though you only get like glimpses of these you know supporting characters, they're all so well rounded right from the get go, and also well performed and so well detailed in in what they wear, whether it's you know the the enormous amounts of makeup or the flashy sort of gaudy things that Fumi's wearing mm-hmm. or uh, George's ridiculous little cap with the like, you know, brim turned up. And I, am I wrong? Or was he wearing like a, a fanny pack at one point? I, that could just be me projecting on how much I decided. <laughs> I don't recall that. I don't recall that. Yeah. But Hey, nothing wrong with the Asian dad fanny pack. Savant, so um, what can I say? I'm just really like racist, I guess. I don't know. You're going to, yeah. uh, you know, wait one day. 30 years from now, Sinatha Laka is going to be seen wearing, <laughs> seen wearing a fanny pack. It's going to happen. Set your watch to it. Set your watch to it. Okay? Um, I mean, it's just convenient, man. It's just convenient. Okay. I think it's just, it's, it's, uh, you familiar with the, the tweet about how, um, you know, when, when you dislike someone, everything they do is annoying. Like if someone tweets, I like yeah. soup, you're like, mm-hmm, I bet you do. Yeah, like, yeah I, I bet you wear fanny packs, George. Like I, th- I think outside of the context of fanny packs, <laughs> outside of the, context, the context of George, of George fanny fanny, pack, yeah, fanny packs. Yeah, yeah, fine. like yeah. Batman wears fanny packs. You know, yeah. So I think it's cool. A uh, couple of other things I wanted to bring up, uh, and I should have written this down in the show doc, uh, Sedan, so that's my bad. But one of the things I wanted to bring up was Danny's relationship to his family. Yeah, uh, it's complicated. You you kind of find out during the course of these two episodes that Danny, uh, he and his family used to run a hotel, is yeah. my sense, right? And Danny helped to facilitate his cousin Isaac uh, selling, I think it was baby formula or something along those lines out of the, yeah. out of the hotel. <laughs> Counterfeit baby formula? Who would have thought that was a thing? And... Uh, and you get a sense that because of that, they got into legal trouble. And like, if you're an immigrant, it's like really serious to get into legal trouble. It like jeopardizes your entire, um, you know, uh, immigrant status. And so you get a sense that because of that, they had to like sell the hotel and move on. And that's why his parents are back in, I think, South Korea. Um, but the conversation that Steven Yun has with his, uh, his parents is, so similar to many of the conversations I have had with my parents because like uh, there are some families out there, okay, who they can be very honest with each other. I've seen, I've seen them depicted on uh, TV shows and films. I've seen them talked about on TikTok. <laughs> I, I wish you, you know. Have, you have heard tell. <laughs> I've heard tell. I've heard tell. I will never understand, but there are certain families out there who when they talk with their parents, they can have an honest conversation about what's going on in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall the last time I have ever had anything like that because when you're talking, you know, when I am talking with my parents, it's always both parties want to represent that things going in their life are just fine. They don't want the other person to worry about the other party. Um, and of course it always comes with like, in the case of Stephen Young's character, his parents saying, Hey, you should marry a nice girl from church. Definitely something I've heard approximately 600 times in my life. Um, so I, I related a lot with what was going on there. But I think Stephen Young's character, Danny, is in the parlance of our times, a loser. And I just, wanna, I just want to emphasize that like, um, for many Asian families, for many immigrant families, you know, being in Stephen Young's position carries a second layer of shame. Yeah. Um, which is that people in his position are supposed to be taking care of their parents. They're not supposed to be a drag on their parents. They're not supposed to be like hurting their parents in any way. Yeah. Um, they're supposed to be taking care of them, improving their lives. And that's kind of the opposite of what Stephen Young's character does. Uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts on like his relationship with his family, Sedan, what stuck out to you there? Yeah, I think especially like, I know this sounds very, you know, what what is the function of, of this thing? It, 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 it serves a very interesting plot function because you immediately know just from his first like FaceTime conversation with his mom. And I think his dad is also there that, Oh, this is the, like the big thing weighing on his mind. The fact that he wants to bring his parents back to the United States. And from there on out, every decision he makes is going to be geared towards that. It's going to have something to do with his family, with his parents, even if, you know, they don't come up directly in a conversation. And, um, 
you know, you, you see the way that even though he's like a little frustrated on the call, he, like you said, wants to, you know, give the impression that yeah, everything's fine. You know, I'm, I'm working on something, you know, I'm going to have you guys back, that sort of thing. And um, it's, it's maybe, I think it, there's so many, so many brilliantly acted scenes that it's hard to pick just one standout, um, especially, you know, when it comes to Stephen Young, because he is so good in this show at capturing the feeling and capturing the appearance of having lived with anger and lived with frustration and self-loathing for so long. Because, you know, for, for a lot of actors, anger is something that, you know, you build to immediately right before it happens. Anger is something that happens in the moment. It, as George would say, it's, it's a transitory state. Um, but it's, you, you can tell, like, that this is something that has just, like, seeped into his bones over years and years. And just every movement, the way he carries himself, um, the way he talks to himself. There's a, a weird amount of, you know, as much as I hate to say it, familiarity there. Like, uh, the way, <laughs> like, oh, Bonham, E.T. Bonham. <laughs> He's talking about the street that yeah. she lives on. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, that's, it's, it's funny, but it comes from a place of like, I have no other way to let out all this frustration and this pressure and this anger other than these stupid little jabs at no one in particular. Um, and it's pathetic in a way, but also like really, you know, kind of unfortunately relatable because, you know, who among us hasn't, you know, at some point sat on their own and like just imagined, you know, some conversation and just gotten angry. Um, but yeah, you can see it in his eyes, like just what he's carrying around with him. Yeah. There's a great shame. Um, there's a big chip on his shoulder. You know, one of the ways that I, I have this theory, Siddhanth. Um, Go for it. And I, I don't. I don't want to accidentally slight you. You know, maybe you've used this. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me put it this way. Let, let me let me try to say this in a, the most innocuous way possible. Um, he calls that person on the phone when he's trying to buy that place. And he's like, Hey, I own a very successful construction company. Um, I have a lot of money, you know, you know uh, please call me back. Cause I want to buy the blah, blah, blah. People in positions of power don't need to reiterate that they're in positions of power. That's yeah. kind of the fundamental thing, right? Yeah. Um, you don't need to say I have a big and successful thing. If it was big and successful, you wouldn't need to say it was big and successful because people would already know about it. You don't mm-hmm. see Mario Bello's character saying, I have a big and successful hardware place, you know, because it's like everyone already knows. It's like he has like the Lowe's of this world or whatever it is, right? Like whatever. So it's like the person, the CEO of Lowe's is saying, I have a big and successful hardware company, you know, like th- yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Um, and so the people who, th- th- that's kind of always been my theory is like, if, if you are actually the thing, you don't need to say you are the thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he is the kind of person that feels like he needs to say he is a thing because he's not actually the thing, you know. Um, so, anyway, and and he immediately follows that up with one of the best scenes of like stress eating I've ever seen. Um, and in an era where Brendan Fraser won an Oscar for stress eating um, in in that in that movie that shall not be named. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I just the, think like the mummy, the mummy three tomb of the dragon emperor. I think you're referring to. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know him and you know the the dragon Jet, emperor. Him and Jet Li chowing down. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, like Stephen Yun eating Burger King, just shoving it in his mouth and like almost choking on it is like the way. Again, the way he does it. Like, yeah, I'm sure he's hungry too, but it's just like oh, I gotta get this down. I'm feeling all this external like pressure and i need something to push it down and for for some people food mm. is that thing yeah. yeah yeah great great call out um the 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 only other thing i really wanted to mention i mean there's a couple of like really amazing filmmaking flourishes i wanted to mention mm-hmm. um i love the reveal of what happens to steven yun's character's car at the end of the episode the second episode yeah. where yeah. it show, it shows you like i think it's like i can't drive right is on the on the hood which is yeah. especially offensive for an Asian person. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. And then, uh, then later you see the other angle, like it's the the camera, like 
kind of swings around to reveal the other angles of the car at the end. So you realize like she's written it across like every dimension of the car. Just what a, what a wonderful, like (laughs) little filmmaking flourish at the end of just like slowly revealing the the extent of what she did. Um, so I wanted to mention that. I mean, the, the, the ultimate thing about the show is I really love the show, but it is deeply uncomfortable and distressing for me to watch the show. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, for two reasons. One is that I think the show's observation about modern life are really spot on. Uh, these are people yep. who are both miserable. And one of them, the Danny, uh, Stephen Yun's character, wants to be where the other one is. Like, wants yep. to be rich, successful, with a, a, a spouse and a family and a child and successful business, and so on. The other person has already achieved that and in some ways is even more miserable. I mean, she is not like in the self-harm level of miserable quite yet, mm-hmm. um, but she's having sex with guns because she's, her life is <laughs> so so boring. Um, and she doesn't have anyone in her life that she can be real with. Like even when she's talking with her friend, Naomi, I think, who's at yeah. her, you know, the, every interaction she has is a front of some kind. Uh, and I, I would argue in some ways she is unha- like less happy than, than Danny. Um, and that's kind of what the, the, the tragedy and the paradox of modern life is, is that, um, you yearn for things and then you achieve that which you yearn for and you are still unsatisfied. Right. And that is in these two people's situations that collide, you get a glimpse of what is going on there. So that that that's just a, a, a kind of universal truth, at least for many millennials today. I don't know about uh, other generations. I, I'd imagine Gen Z's experience is much different of modern life. Um, but for many millennials, that is kind of, that it captures that. So that's why it's deeply distressing to me. And the second thing is, I get the sense just from the first two episodes, and I know you've already seen the rest, so you don't need to mention that again, <laughs> um, that... Everything they're going to try to accomplish is going to go poorly for them. <laughs> like, I don't think the sale is going to go through, or if it does go through, I think it's going to go through in a bad way. I don't think Danny's going to buy this plot of land. I don't, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe like there'll be some kind of redemption at the end. But right now, it feels like at the very least, all these, like, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's kind of my sense. It's like these two people's character, these two characters' lives are going to get worse before they get better. And you feel, as the viewer, you feel that. You feel the kind of inevitability of how terrible things are going to get. And that is sad. It's sad to witness. So we love a good comedy, don't we, folks? <laughs> Indeed. Any yeah. other thoughts on these first two episodes, Sanand? Anything else that stuck out to you before we. Talk about our favorite quotes from the episode. I'm I'm just so delighted by just everyone in the cast. I think uh, young Mazzino, who plays Paul, Danny's brother. Yeah. Um, just even his delivery of like I'm in the middle of a game. Like the first time you meet him, like uh, he just there's this such a lived reality to everything he does and says, even as like a kind of you know. On first glance, kind of like a himbo meathead sort of uh, thing. You know, the the thing he has going on of like this, you know, dumb guy who just wants to like flirt and screw around. And um, you you can tell that there's something more beneath the surface there, even though it hasn't like mm-hmm. really been focused on yet. But um, um, always happy to see uh, Justin Min show up. He plays uh, a minor character, Edwin, the husband of... Danny's ex who's mm-hmm. pregnant. Yeah. He is from let me see, do I have it right here? Right here. After Yang. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, That's him. That's my he boy. Plays, he plays Yang. He plays uh, Yang. In, in, in After Yang. And he yeah, he's kind of he invites them to go to uh church because Edwin is apparently leading worship team. Yeah. Uh, also a conversation I've had with other people in my life, you know. So um, I I love his voice and I love just like you know, he's trying to put on this, like, very, like, oh, we love to have you here kind of front. But you can see, like, mild discomfort with the fact that his pregnant wife's ex from a decade ago is sitting in his kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you, you brought up uh, Paul, Danny's brother. And yeah. we didn't even talk about how Danny 
borrows $20,000 from his cousin, invests it all in crypto, and apparently loses everything, which is just um, just brutal. Just, just brutal. Like the thing is, Danny makes terrible decisions during the course of the episode that are yeah. outside the scope. Like Ali, Ali Wong, kind of, you know, could have negotiated her situation with Jordan a little bit differently. But like, it's Danny who is completely, like, continuously making terrible mistakes as the show goes on. Um, and I'm curious, and, and that's really like sad and upsetting to see. You know, I'm curious, like, how that's going to continue to spiral, and or whether or not he's going to learn anything as a result of this. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to watching the rest of the show. I'm I'm deeply uncomfortable. I'm made deeply uncomfortable by the show. Um, but Sanath and I, we will watch the rest of the show. We will record another episode in the next couple weeks talking about the entire season. Uh, and you can look forward to that. Uh, before we get to our favorite quotes, I want to mention where you can find more of our stuff. Uh, if you're watching this now on YouTube, you can... Uh, be sure to subscribe, get notifications at youtube.com slash decoding TV and twitch.tv slash decoding TV. Find us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. I already said that at decoding TV. Podcast.decodingtv.com is where you can find the podcast version and download and listen to it at your leisure. Uh, decoding TV at gmail.com is where you can let us know what you thought of this conversation and whether we should keep doing this week in streaming because it's a new thing we're doing. And if you want to support what we're doing here on Decoding TV, become a paid member at DecodingTV.com. Get early access to episodes and bonuses and ad-free episodes. Uh, We really appreciate everyone at DecodingTV.com who's supporting us and making this podcast possible. Siddharth Adlaka, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? They can find me on Twitter at at Siddhant Adlaka, which is, of course, my name. Um, And I have a bunch of articles about... All sorts of movies and shows all over the place, from IGN to Polygon to IndieWire to Vulture to Joysauce. Um, yeah, and Twitter will take you to all those places because I share my work there and sometimes tweet about other things. All right. Uh, so at the end of each episode, you know, we've been doing this with our uh, succession recaps. I thought let's do it for uh, these this weekend streaming episodes as well. Uh, talking about our favorite quotes from the episode. Um, I wanted to say when Danny's trying to convince that guy to give him the tree cutting job, he says, uh, what are you going to get a guy with like five stars on Yelp? Those reviews are fake, man. They're totally fake. End quote, which is very much like how I try to talk people into listening to my podcast, you know, instead of other, <laughs> instead of other five star podcasts, you know, what are you going to listen to a, an Apple podcast with five stars? Those reviews are fake, man. You got to listen to good old 4.1 stars, David Chen. You know, that's kind of what you got to do. <laughs> Sanat Adlaka, uh, any quotes stuck out to you? For me, it's, you know, I could just list everything that David Cho, the actor who plays Isaac, says, because yeah. he's immediately just such a delightful character. And another actor with a great voice. I think whoever cast this show uh, really knows voices. Um, so after Danny is asking, you know, Isaac for help, um, he says... Of course, dude, your family. Just give me the title of your truck. <laughs> Which is, it's, it's so like, of course I'll help you. I love you. We're family. But this is going to be the most transactional thing you could possibly do. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. And it's so casually thrown out there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, other, the other great thing he says is maybe a little too uh, explicit for YouTube. It has to do with kimchi juice. Oh yeah, I saw. I was almost gonna start. I was almost gonna start the episode with that, but it was a little bit too, a little bit too spicy, as it were. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, that is going to bring us to the end of our very first episode of this week in streaming here on the Decoding TV podcast feed. I want to give a big shout out to Sanath Adlaka for joining me today. Thanks, man. Um, really appreciate it. It's been a blast diving into the first two episodes uh, of Beef. And uh, yes, you, you look like you want to say something, Sadaf. Before we go, just for, let's say, for posterity, do you have any more predictions of where this could go? And I won't react. I won't say anything. Yeah, I'm just you're, curious. You're, you're, you're a complete blank slate. Okay. I'm hiding. I, I think the sale is either not going to go through. And, and I just want to say, hey, if you're in the comments, like, uh, presumably people who are watching this YouTube video haven't seen the rest of the show either. Don't be a jerk. Don't spoil it for people. Um, but... If I'm to predict, my guess is that um, the sale either doesn't go through or it goes through in such a long and drawn-out way that extracts like a heavy cost from Ali Wong's character. 
um, that it's kind of like a Pyrrhic victory. That's my guess there. Um, I don't think either one of them will die during the course of the show. Um, I think there is a chance that by the end of the show, these two characters realize they have more in common than they originally thought and come to some kind of peace. But I do think that the the feud between them will uh, continue to escalate dramatically for at least another two to three more episodes um, before it starts coming down. Um, that's that's my sense of where it's going. Now, it could also just keep escalating, escalating, escalating until it's like out of control, but I just don't know how you'd sustain that for 10 episodes. Um, so th- those are my predictions. Uh, Danny Cho continues to fail. Um, maybe by the end he gets like a little bit of hope. Some Something happens that makes him a little bit hopeful. Um, Maybe by the end, uh, like Ali Wong and him, like uh, or uh, Amy and and Danny, kind of arrive at some kind of detente. Um, there is even a possibility they end up working together at the end because he's a contractor and she's a plant person, and maybe there's a way that for them to com- combine forces. That's possible, but I think it's going to take at least another five episodes to even get a glimpse of that. Is my sense, um, and I don't think the sale is going to go through, or it will go through in a really challenging way. So I kind of fumbled my way through that, but I think you kind of get. I was mostly consistent through all that, right? Yeah. 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 So we will regroup and we will see how correct uh, David Chen is or is not. Um, But yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this. A big thanks to Zidanth for joining us. DecodingTV at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of this episode, this structure, right? Which is not a straight recap of the episode. It's kind of just thoughts on specific topics around the episode. Would love to hear any feedback on that. Uh, but we hope you'll join us over at youtube.com slash decoding TV and on podcast.decodingtv.com for our coverage of the rest of season one of Beef. Goodbye. Beef, 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 beef. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 